Well, good morning. I'm glad you're here to worship with us this morning. And this morning we're starting a new series. Last Sunday we finished uh, the book of James. Actually, last Sunday was Easter. The Sunday before we finished the book of James. And last Sunday we talked about the resurrection and what the, the hope we have in Christ. And today we're going to start a new series, something that's very important for us as a church, that's important for families. We're going to start a series and do something over the next few weeks called Building Blocks of a Godly Home. Over the next few weeks, I want to share with you from Scripture what it takes to build a godly home. Because just like a building a structure takes work, just like when you build a structure, you have to have the right materials. If you want to build a godly home, it's going to take work. And there are going to be some things that you need if you want to have a home that honors God and pleases Him. But all too often, these key things that we need to build a godly home upon are missing. As you can see it, as marriages are struggling and and families are struggling, and questions are being asked, well, how can I strengthen my marriage? How can I save my marriage? How can I, as a parent, raise godly kids in such an ungodly world? How can I be the parent that God wants me to be? How can I be the husband or the wife that God wants me to be? How can I relate to my kids? Or better yet, kids ask, how in the world can I relate to my parents to where they can understand me? You know, at times I try to understand my kids. And oftentimes I miserably fail. Just the other day, Aaron said to Luke, he said, that's drip. I thought... And we're referring to a pair of swim trunks that we got Luke. And I had no clue what he meant. I thought, those swim trunks aren't dripping. That's not drip. So I had to ask what it means. You know what drip means? Stylish. Cool. I've never heard that before. And trying to fit it in the conversation and be cool, I said, yeah, Luke, those are lit. <laughs> Boy, was I behind the times and didn't even know it. I was, my kids were embarrassed. They walked away in shame after that conversation. But you know what? We have real-life conversations about the home. We have conversations or real questions that, that family need answers to. And they need answers not from the world. They need answers from the Word of God. Because marriages are under attack. The family is under attack. Culture is, now, is redefining marriage. Culture is redefining family. Because marriage is no longer defined as being between a man and a woman. A family unit no longer is consisting of a mom and a dad. Now it can be two dads or two moms. And instead of looking at what culture says about family and how culture defines family, we need to look at God's definition of marriage. We need to look at God's definition of the family as the family is the most important building block to human society and should be nurtured and protected and valued. Because without strong, godly families, our churches and even our nation will fall apart. You see, strong, godly family units are so important. They're so critical to the success of our society as strong families build strong churches. Strong churches build strong communities. Strong communities build strong states. And strong states build a strong nation. But without strong, godly families, chaos and dysfunction ensues. And a big reason families are struggling is because they are stressed. 
They're stressed when it comes to time. They're stressed when it comes to schedules. They're stressed when it comes to finances. They're, they're stressed in trying to find time to spend together. And somewhere in there, they try to find time to eat. And I want to tell you this morning, a home that is stressed is a home that's going to be in trouble. And what's the greatest stress for a family? You may have experienced this this morning. It's a Sunday morning trying to get to church. Think about a typical Sunday morning. You got to get everybody up. You got to get breakfast. You got to get ready. You got to get dressed. You got to figure out what you're wearing. You have to think about lunch. You have yelling at the kids to get ready. The husband's ready to go, waiting on the wife and the kids in the driveway, honking the horn, pills out of the driveway, and arrives to church like nothing ever happened. Sunday mornings can be one of the most stressful times in a family when it should be one of the most glorious times coming to church to worship God. See, after the dedication of his baby brother in church, little Johnny, he sobbed all the way home in the back seat of the car. And his father asked him several times, said, Johnny, what's wrong? Finally, the boy replied, the pastor said he wanted us brought up in a Christian home, and I want to stay with you guys. <laughs> I wonder how many children feel this way about their home, thinking, I thought my mom and dad loved God. I thought my mom and dad loved each other. I thought my mom and dad are Christians. You see, the goal of every Christian home, the goal of every marriage should be to have a home and a marriage that reflects God and brings glory and honor to Him. And in this series, this is exactly what I want to do. I want to share with you what building blocks your home needs so your home can be a godly home. And the first building block I want to share this morning, the first building block that you need if you want to have a godly home is you've got to have a proper foundation. You've got to have a proper foundation. And to have a proper foundation, point number one, is you must construct your home upon Christ. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 6, we just sang cornerstone. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 6, Peter writes... Coming to him, a living stone rejected by men, but chosen and valuable to God. You yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture. Look, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and valuable cornerstone. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. You see, a cornerstone is very important. Because in ancient times, builders used cornerstones. It was the principal stone. It was the main stone. And it was usually placed at the corner of an edifice to guide the rest of the building as it was constructed. And it was the largest stone. It was the most solid stone. It was the most carefully constructed of all stones. Because once that cornerstone was set, it was the basis of determining every other measurement in the remaining construction. Everything was aligned to that cornerstone. Without it, or if it was not set properly or not properly used, everything else was out of whack. How sturdy the building was, how sturdy or how well constructed the building was, depended on the correct placement of this cornerstone. In Isaiah 28, 16, which 1 Peter 2, 6 quotes, in Isaiah 28, 16, God promises to the Israelites to send a cornerstone. He said in Isaiah 28, verse 16, Look, I've laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone. He's speaking of his son who will provide the firm foundation for the lives of the Israelites if they would simply trust him. 
And this is exactly what God did. He sent his son Jesus to be the cornerstone, to be the foundation upon which we are to build our lives. And if you want a godly home, your life and your home must be built upon Christ. He must be the cornerstone upon which everything else in your home and your life is based. Because if you try to align your life, if you try to align your family with anything else but Christ, your family will eventually come crashing down. There's a great example in Matthew 7, 24 to 27. If you turn to Matthew 7, 24 to 27, Jesus gives us a great example of what it looks like to build with the improper foundation. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, speaking of what he had just talked about in Matthew 5 through 7 on the Sermon on the Mount, will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and its collapse was great. You see, the house built upon the sand could not withstand the storms. But the house built upon the rock had a completely different outcome. It survived. I grew up on the Gulf Coast of Alabama, and I was no stranger to hurricanes. And a hurricane loves nothing more than a house built on the beach. Because houses that are built on beaches, they were built on stilts. And when that hurricane comes, it removes those stilts from under that home because of the force of the wind and the waves, and that home comes crashing down. And what was foolish to me was they continued to build the same house in the same place and the same hurricane, or different hurricane would come, and it would be the same result. That's called insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again and getting the same result. Nothing was going to change about that house standing when the winds came and the waves came because it was built on the wrong foundation. But homes that were further inland, those homes would survive hurricane force winds. Why? Because they were built on a firm foundation. And whether or not a structure like a house will stand is determined largely by the foundation upon which it is built. If that house does not have the right foundation, if if the foundation, the ground upon which that foundation is laid is weak, it doesn't matter how beautiful the building may look. It doesn't matter how many amenities that building it has, as it only matters what the foundation is for that home. If the foundation is not a firm foundation, that home is going to eventually collapse no matter how good it looks on the inside or the outside. And just like putting great effort into building a structure that has a weak foundation will cause the building to collapse, putting great effort into building your home with the wrong foundation is going to cause your home and your family to collapse as well. Because when we reject Jesus as the cornerstone of our life, when we reject Jesus as the foundation of our life, we are saying that what we want to build something different from what God's building. We're saying we want to do things our way instead of God's way. And we're deliberately disregarding God's design and plan in favor of our own. And we deliberately disregard God's plan in favor of ours that never works out for us. And if you try to build your home, If you try to build your family without Christ, you will not succeed. It will be futile, and it will be foolish. And this is why so many families are falling apart. This is why so many families are under attack. Because God has been ignored. God has been demanded. 
God has been left out of the home building process. If you want your family to thrive, if you want your family to prosper, then Jesus must be the rock upon which you build your home. Jesus must be your foundation. Psalm 127.1, this is exactly what the psalmist wrote. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless God builds. It doesn't imply that God is going to build your home with a hammer or nails or is actually doing the building, but it speaks of God's direct involvement in our lives and the lives of our family. And if you do not involve God directly in your life and the life of your family, if the Lord is not the priority of your life, of your family, then your labor is in vain. No matter how hard you try, without Christ, your home will crumble just like the man who built his house upon the sand. Because it is not you who should be building your home. It is Jesus Christ who should be building your home, your home through you. And think about why it's so important to have a solid foundation. Because when you have a solid foundation, when the foundation is sure, you don't worry about safety. You don't worry about security. You don't worry about stability. And when Jesus Christ is the foundation of your home, you will experience safety. You will experience security. You will experience stability. And just like we sang this morning, Jesus is my firm foundation. I know I can stand secure. And hopefully that is true of your home this morning. That Jesus is the foundation of your home. And that you know you can stand secure. And why can we stand secure? Because we know Jesus isn't going to fail. Jesus isn't going to crack. Jesus isn't going to falter. Jesus is not going to shift. And in 1 Corinthians 3.11, Paul writes this, No one can lay any foundation other than the one that has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation of your home and of your life should be nothing but Jesus Christ. The foundation of your home should not be accomplishments. The foundation of your home should not be finances. The foundation of your home should not be possessions. The foundation of your home should not be your spouse. The foundation of your home should not be your kids. It should not be your schedule. And listen to this, the foundation of your home shouldn't even be love. Now let me explain that before you go home and say, well, the pastor said we don't have to love each other in our home. That's not what I'm saying. I want to refer you to Luke 14, 26. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate Father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Is Jesus saying we should hate our family? No. That's a com comparative type of love that Jesus is referring to. He's saying that your love for him should pale in comparison to the love you have for your family or anything else. And I will say this, if your love for Jesus is so much greater than your love for others, then guess what? You can't help but love others. If you love Jesus, you will love others. So if you want your home to be on solid ground and not shaky ground, if you want your home to be a godly home, I want to challenge you to build your home upon Jesus Christ. Make him your cornerstone. Make him your firm foundation. The second thing I want to share this morning is not only must we make Jesus the cornerstone of our home and construct our home upon him. Second thing I want to share is you must be committed to your faith. If you want to have a godly home, if you want to have a proper foundation, you have to be committed to your faith. 
It does no good to build your home upon Christ if you are not committed to Christ. Joshua 24 gives us a great example of this. If you turn to Joshua 24, and we'll be looking at verses 14 and 15 in Joshua 24. Joshua, as he gathered the Israelites together one last time before his death, he called them together to reaffirm their willingness to serve the Lord because before he departed, he wanted to make sure that he had their assurance that they were only going to serve God and not serve other gods. And this is what he told them in Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. He said this, Therefore, fear the Lord and worship Him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the, your, the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship the Lord. But if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today the one you will worship. The gods your fathers worship beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. As for me and my family, or as for me and my house... We will worship or we will serve the Lord. Joshua gave the Israelites a choice as to whom they would serve. He told them, you can obey the the gods of your forefathers. You can obey these other gods that are around us. Or you can obey the true and living God. And Joshua made it very clear as to whom he was going to serve. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And this is a very popular verse that hangs in a lot of homes. In fact, I think we have a a painting in our home of this verse, and probably many of you do as well. But the Israelites, on three different occasions, they made their intention clear. They said, we will serve the Lord. In verse 18, they said, we will serve the Lord. In verse 21, they said, we will serve the Lord. In verse 24, they said, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua told them, if they wanted to serve the Lord... They needed to throw away their idols. They needed to to remove the foreign gods from their lives. They needed to get rid of whatever was standing in the way of them truly worshiping and serving God. And that's in verse 23. He even told them what would happen if at any point they chose to serve other gods. He said in verse 22, God will turn and bring disaster on you and make you an end. With that comment, Joshua was showing them how seriously their words were. He's saying, if you say you're going to serve the Lord, then you better serve the Lord, because if you don't, God's wrath is going to come upon you. You see, the Israelites are making a promise. They're making a commitment to make sure that everything that took place inside their home honored God. And if you know the history of the nation of the Israel, they did not keep their commitment. And they turned from God. And their children turned from God, and they paid dearly for it as the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom were destroyed in A.D. 720 and A.D. 586, respectively, by the Assyrian and the Babylonian kingdoms. Why? Because they failed to keep their commitment to God. They began serving other gods, and they didn't throw away all these other things in their lives that Joshua told them to get rid of. And just like the Israelites... We have a choice in whom we're going to worship in our homes. Just like the Israelites, we have a choice in whom we're going to serve. We have a choice as to what is going to be the foundation of our home. And as I mentioned earlier, 
Some people choose their spouse or their kids or their accomplishments or their jobs or the money or possessions or other things. But if you want the proper foundation, if you want your home built upon Christ, then you must be committed to your faith. And you show commitment to your faith by consistently being in God's Word. If you're serious about your commitment to your faith, then you'll desire to know what God's Word says. And then you'll desire to make sure that you live that out in your life and it's lived out in the life of your home. You'll be committed to persistently praying, and I just don't mean at mealtime. If you truly want God to be the foundation of your home, you need to make sure that you're in constant communication with God. You need to pray persistently, and then you need to faithfully serve Him and worship Him by being part of a body of believers. You need to faithfully and consistently be involved and attend church. You can't say you're committed to church if you hardly ever come to church. You can't say you're committed to your faith if you hardly come to church. If you hardly went to work, people would say you're not committed to your work. If students hardly went to school, they would say students aren't committed to their school. So why is it any different with God? If you say you're committed to your faith, show you're committed to your faith. By making God's Word a priority in your home, by making prayer a priority in your home, and by making going to church and serving and worshiping God a priority. And as a parent, you have a responsibility to serve the Lord and to teach your kids to serve the Lord. Because what is important to you will become become important to them. If reading your Bible, if praying... If going to church is not important to you, then I promise you it's not going to be important to your children. If you don't make prayer and Bible study and church a priority in in the life of your home, don't expect your children to make it a priority when they get older either. Look at the Israelites. Because the parents did not keep the commitment they made, the children had no desire to follow God either. Now, does this mean that children that were brought up in a godly home will always make their faith a priority? The answer is no. The answer is no. I can, I, can, <laughs> I can count numerous kids that I was in the youth with when I was in the youth, when I was in college. I can count numerous kids that have been in my youth ministry when I was in California and even here who came to church faithfully throughout middle school, high school. And when they left, they never darkened the door of a church again. So just because your kid grows up in a godly home doesn't guarantee when they get older that they're going to continue to follow God. But at least you've laid the foundation, you've done your job, because your children have to come to a point where their faith is their own. And I promise you this, though, if you don't make uh, your faith a priority, there is no chance they're making faith a priority. So parents, you have a responsibility to make sure that your students grow up in a godly home. That your children make their faith a priority because you've made it a priority. And let me say this, parents, don't give your children a choice of whether or not to come to church when they're in middle school and high school. They don't have a choice. At least in my home they don't when they're in middle school or high school. Never ask your children, do you want to go to church? No, when I grew up, it is you're going to church. If you live in my home, you're going to be at church on Sunday morning. You're going to be at church on Sunday night. And so, parents, we have to make church a priority if we want our kids to make it a priority. 
There was a sixth grade teacher in an upper middle class city in California. She asked her students to complete this phrase, I wish. That's all she said. And she was expecting answers like, I wish a pet, or I wish a, a bicycle, or a game system, or a, or a laptop, or an iPhone, or something like that. But instead, here are just a couple of the responses she got back. I wish my parents wouldn't fight, and I wish my father would come back. I wish I could get straight A's so my father would love me. I wish I had one mom and one dad so the kids wouldn't make fun of me. You know why some of the kids responded this way? Because they're in a home that doesn't have Christ as the foundation. Because they're in a home that, that is not committed to Christ. And Tony Evans, who's a well-renowned and respected pastor from Dallas, Texas, said this. He said, the single greatest reason why we're losing a generation is because the home is no longer the place of the transference of faith. And he is exactly right. As parents, it is our responsibility to transfer our faith to our children. It is not the church's responsibility to raise your kid. It is not the church's responsibility to bring your kid up in church. It is your responsibility as a parent to transfer your faith to your child. And because the church is only here to reinforce what they have been taught at home. The church is a resource to help kids grow in their faith. The church is not to raise kids in the faith. That's supposed to happen at home. And if you don't transfer your faith to your children, the odds of them growing up and having a godly home are not very good. And it's not enough to say, well, our family will serve the Lord. That's exactly what the Israelites did. They made it very clear to Joshua on three different times within this small passage that, yes, we are going to serve the Lord, but that is far from what happened. And the way we live shows our commitment to God. And when you are committed to your faith, your home will have the right priorities instead of misplaced priorities. God will be a forethought and not an afterthought. God will not be pushed to the side but be out in front. And other things like work and sports and schedules and interests will not become more important than God. And if other things become more important than God, there's no way he can be the foundation of your home. It also means that we'll have a right perspective instead of a misguided perspective. We'll handle conflicts and problems and, and even successes differently than the world. Life will not just revolve around us. We'll see things as God sees them. And we'll demonstrate selfless and humility instead of selfishness and pride. There is no comparison between a home founded on an in Christ and a home floundering without Christ. Because a home to, committed to Christ will flourish, but a home without Christ will fail. Winston Churchill once said, We will fight on the beaches, we'll fight on the landing grounds, we'll fight in the fields and the streets, we'll fight in the hills. To a lot of families, that's a typical family vacation. <laughs> but you know what? But seriously, that describes many families today. The family has become a war zone. The family has become a battle zone. Instead of becoming known as a family that fights... Be desire to be known as a family that's committed to the faith. And just like Joshua told the Israelites to throw away their idols, to throw away what was taking God's place in their lives, maybe there are some things in your home that have taken God's place that you need to remove, that you need to replace, or that you need to reprioritize. 
And if you want your children to choose to serve God, you better choose to serve God. No pursuit is more important. No pursuit has greater reward. No pursuit has a greater impact than that of a godly family. Because not only do you impact your family today, you will impact your family for generations to come if you are committed to your faith. And understand that your home will only be as strong as commitment to your faith. If you want a strong, godly home, make sure you're committed to their faith. The last thing I want to share is you must view your marriage as a covenant, not a contract. You must view your marriage as a covenant, not a contract. You see, this is something that everyone who is planning to get married or is married needs to understand. Marriage is a covenant. A covenant is a coming together. It's an oath-bound relationship between two or more parties. It is a solemnly binding Agreement, And when you read Scripture, there are covenants throughout Scripture that God made with His people. You have the Abrahamic covenant where, where God promised Abraham that He would make him a great nation and He would bless him tremendously. You have the Noahic covenant, which is the promise that God would never destroy the earth by flood again and, and promise that with the rainbow. There's the Davidic covenant where God promised David that there would be a, a descendant from his throne from then until all of eternity. And we know that's true because Jesus is always on the throne and Jesus was a descendant of David. There's also the covenant of grace that Jesus ushered in through the cross, through his sacrifice and his suffering so we were no longer under the curse of the Old Testament law. But in all of these covenants, God binds himself by his own oath to keep his promises. But before all these covenants, I believe there is one more covenant. That is the marriage covenant. Because before God instituted anything else, before God instituted the law, before God instituted the church, He instituted the family through marriage. In Genesis 1, 27 and 28, and Genesis 2, 24, God's Word says this, God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Genesis 2.24 A man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Marriage is a covenant between God, a biological man, and a biological woman. And isn't it sad today that we have to put the term biological in front of man and woman when you're talking about a marriage? But marriage is a covenant between God, a biological man, and a biological woman. And in that marital union, the two become one. The two lives are joined together. They each leave their family and they cleave or they are bound to each other. And besides their relationship with God, their primary responsibility is to be to each other. It's like a three-legged race. I'm sure many of you have, have run a three-legged race. The point of a three-legged race, three race is to become one person as your inside legs are, are joined together. And the goal is to get to the finish line while staying connected. You see, marriage is a man and a woman running together the race of life together as one entity, as one person. And just as God can't break his covenant with us, because in 2 Timothy 2.13, God said he would be faithful to us even if we were unfaithful to him. We are not supposed to break our covenant with him. 
Our yes is to be yes, and our no is to be no. And in Matthew 19, 5 and 6, Jesus said this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And I want to make it very clear this morning that marriage is a covenant and not a contract. And what I'm about to share with you is something that the pastor who married Joni and me shared with us. He was my mentor in seminary, and he shared this with us when he married us. And I have included this in every marriage ceremony I've done since then. And Jonathan and Allison, you will hear this again, I promise. And if you come to their wedding, you'll hear it again too. But I think it's so important for us to understand marriage is a covenant and not a contract. And there are three differences between a covenant and a contract. First, a contract is built on mistrust and a covenant is built on trust. Why do we have contracts? Because we enter into a contractual agreement with someone because we're not really sure they're going to do what they said they would do. We don't trust them. We get it in writing so we can hold them together for what they agreed to do. And marriage is a relationship that's supposed to be built on trust 100%, not mistrust. And if you can't trust the person you choose to marry, why in the world are you marrying them? Because this is someone that you are committing the rest of your life to. And if you can't trust them, why are you entering that marital relationship with them? Everything about a marriage is built on trust. The second difference, a contract is based on limited liability. A covenant means unlimited responsibility. A contract tells someone, I'm going to only do this and this, and anything that's not stipulated in the contract is not part of the agreement. But in a covenant, you say, I commit to doing whatever I need to do to meet the needs that you have. God has given you to me, and I will honor that gift in any way that I can. In marriage, you can't say, I'm only going to do this and nothing more. You can try, but it ain't going to work. Especially guys, good luck with that. That may work for the wife, but it doesn't work for the husband. In 2005, Guinness Book of World Records said that Percy and Florence Aerosmith held two records. The longest marriage of a living couple at 80 years, and they had the largest married couple's aggregate age of 205. Now, since then, they both died, but they left some great advice for those who wanted a happy home and a lasting marriage when Florence was asked what, what caused you to have a happy home, how could y'all stay together so long? She said this, You must never go to sleep as bad friends. If you've had a quarrel, you make up. Never be afraid to say sorry. That's pretty good advice. Percy's advice was short to the point a little bit different. He said the secret to his long marriage was two words. Yes, dear. You see, marriage is about going above and beyond to meet the needs of your spouse and your children. Because there are many things you may be asked to do or will do that you never thought you would do in a marriage relationship. And why do you do those things? Because you love the person that you married. And you want to do whatever you can for them. You see, marriage is about unlimited responsibility. And the third thing is a contract can be declared void by the mutual consent of the parties that entered into it. A covenant relationship can't because it's made between three parties. You can't just null a covenant. 
A covenant is based on God, the man, and the woman. And it is a binding agreement between those three parties. And by entering into a covenant relationship, the husband is saying to God, God, I receive from you the gift of my wife, and I'm going to cherish this gift my entire life. And the wife is saying to God, I receive from you this gift of my husband, and I will cherish this gift my entire life. There's a huge difference between a covenant and a contract. But how often is a covenant of marriage broken? Too often. Among Christians who are married, 30% of marriages end in divorce. Of all couples, it's about 50%. Why? Because couples view marriage as a contract and not a covenant. And this is why divorce is so painful. Since marriage is a covenant, it is binding. And something that is bound together is difficult to separate. And when it is separated, there is a tearing and a ripping. And a divorce is a tearing and it's a ripping of one flesh. Because God said the two come together and they become one flesh. And if you've ever ripped flesh, it's not fun. If you've ever ripped flesh, it hurts and it's painful. And this is why God hates divorce. God hates divorce because it's painful. And because it breaks the covenant that was made. Now, are there reasons, I don't want to get into this too much this morning, but are there reasons that that divorce can occur? Absolutely. Scripture makes it clear that there are some reasons where God says it's okay. One reason is if if, if uh, if the husband or the wife is an unbeliever, and the unbeliever chooses to leave the marriage, God says, as Paul wrote, that that unbeliever, that that believing spouse, since the unbeliever left, is, is free. Adultery, God said adultery is a reason that a marriage can experience divorce. What's adultery based on? Adultery is based on trust. And when someone commits adultery in a marriage relationship, that trust is broken and it's hard. All righty. So. (laughs) Speaking of trust, so. um, when When that... When that trust is broken, it's hard to regain that trust. And I believe another reason, as again, my mentor that I was under in a church in Texas when I was in seminary said, abuse is another one. I personally believe, and I've come to believe, that I don't think God wants any person to be in an abusive relationship. And I believe abuse is an extension of adultery. Because what what is that based on? It's based on mistrust. Someone who abuses someone else in a marital relationship. That trust is broken. They can't trust that spouse for safety and security. And I would never tell anyone who's in an abusive relationship to stay in that relationship in that home. I don't think that's biblical and I don't think that's God, what God would want someone to do. Now, does that mean that that marriage can't be restored? Absolutely not. Divorce should not be the first resort. Divorce should be the last resort. But I believe someone who's, who's in an abusive relationship should be able to remove themselves from that relationship to a place where they feel secure. So adultery, abuse, and abandonment, I believe, are reasons that people can get divorces. And I don't believe there are any other reasons in Scripture that can break that covenant of marriage. 
Irreconcilable differences doesn't cut it when it comes to God's Word. Just because we don't get along anymore doesn't cut it in God's Word. Well, I don't love you anymore. I don't love you like I used to. That doesn't cut it when it comes to God's Word. And God hates divorce. Why? Because marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. And marriage is one of the strongest examples of faithfulness to God because when we are faithful to our spouse, when we are faithful to our children, we are showing faithfulness to God and His covenant. And when we view marriage as a covenant and not a contract, we will desire to be faithful to our spouse. We will desire to be faithful to our children. We will desire to be faithful to our marriage and our home and our family. And then we will guarantee that our home will have the right foundation upon which we can build which is Jesus Christ. Four-year-old Susie had just been told the story of Snow White for the first time in her life. And she could hardly wait to get home and, from preschool and share the story with her mom. And with great excitement, she retold the fairy's tale of Snow White to her mother. And, and after telling about how Prince Charming had arrived on a beautiful white horse and how he had kissed Snow White back to life, Susie asked loudly to her mom, And mom, do you know what happened next? Yes, said her mom, they lived happily ever after. No, Susie said with a frown, they got married. You see, little Susie was on to something. Many homes, many marriages, many families are struggling today. Once was a happy home is no longer a happy home. According to a recent survey, 70 to 80% of Americans consider their families dysfunctional. And dysfunction is such the norm that it's often hard for people to recognize what a healthy marriage and what a healthy family should be. And dysfunctional homes may be characterized by anger, may be characterized by violence, may be characterized by a lack of unconditional love or a lack of quality time or, or poor boundaries or addiction issues. And then what happens when these children grow up in this dysfunctional home, they repeat that cycle in their home, own home because the behavior they saw, the behavior they experienced, they considered it to be normal and didn't know any differently. And this describes not just non-Christians homes today, but Christian homes as well. And what is going to reverse this cycle? What is going to cause dysfunctional homes to become functional? It's exactly what I shared this morning, a proper foundation. If you don't want your home to be dysfunctional, if you don't want your home to be chaotic, if you don't want your home to be stressed, distressed, Christ must be the foundation upon which you build your home. And you must be committed to your faith. And you must see marriage as a covenant and not a contract. And I want to challenge you to make sure your home has the proper foundation this morning. And that foundation, as Paul said, is no other foundation than that which has been laid is Jesus Christ. And I want to challenge you to make a commitment today to have a home built upon Christ, to have a home grounded in Christ and permeate and saturate your home with the things of God and the Word of God daily into your life and the life of your family. And if you have Jesus as the proper foundation, you will have a home that pleases God and brings honor and glory to Him. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning and we just thank you for what you've done for us, God. We thank you for giving us your son, Jesus. Father, we thank you that 
Lord, that he is a firm foundation for our lives, Father. And I pray that our desire would be this morning to build our lives, to build our families upon Jesus, the cornerstone. And Father, I pray if there's someone here this morning who doesn't know you, Father, I pray today would be their day of salvation. God, I pray, God, maybe today they've tried to build their home on so many other things, but today they need to realize that the only foundation which makes sense The only foundation on which they can count on is by building their life upon Jesus Christ. And Father, today, those of us who've put our faith in you, God, I pray today that we would think about our homes. God, I pray that we would think about whether or not our homes are being built upon Christ. Father, I pray that we would think about whether or not that we are committed to our faith, Father, the way we say we are. Father, I pray that we would think about our marriages and Think about whether or not we see them as a contract or as a covenant. And Father, I pray that our desire would be to strengthen our homes, God, by being committed to our faith and making you the foundation of our lives. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And God, we just thank you for this morning and thank you that Jesus is a firm foundation, a sure foundation upon which we can build. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.